We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and 95.7 The Game here in the Bay Area. Kyle, what's going on, buddy? Not a lot, man. Hanging out. Got my glass of red wine and ready to talk about another 49er victory, which is way more fun to talk about than a bunch of 49ers losses. It turns out. That's true. Actually, since you and I have started this podcast, the 49ers have not lost a regular season game. So maybe we should, uh, maybe that's another thing we should take a victory lap on. Yeah, I, I think we should do that, especially since we so accurately predicted that the 49ers would blow out the Panthers. We both said that that was going to happen. Yeah, so <laughs> turns out when you you know try to analyze football and things that happen in the NFL, you can be really wrong and sound really stupid from time to time. And that was me last week when talking about this 49ers-Panthers game. And, and fortunately, I can look at other people throughout the, the blogosphere and analysts and whatever. Uh, I... I wasn't alone in thinking that the Carolina Panthers would make a much better game of it than what happened on Sunday. And, and it, it wasn't necessarily that, I don't know. I, I, I stand by the take, like I stand by the fact that I thought the Panthers were 
one of the best teams the 49ers have faced. And I still think they are. But Carolina just came out and played really horrendously. And the 49ers did a lot of things that we haven't seen them do yet. Um, they really just beat them down. It was like a a really, really encouraging showing. And, and the 49ers won every single facet of the game, basically, against a team that was 4-2, and two, that had won four straight games. That was the number six seed and owner of the second wild card spot coming into the week. And the 49ers just handled business and they did it in emphatic fashion. They they did it again without their starting tackles and their their Pro Bowl fullback. They were able to run the ball for 232 yards on 38 carries. They average over six yards a carry again, five rushing touchdowns. Uh, just a really, really impressive performance. And uh, and I was wrong because I thought that eventually, at some point, the 49ers would feel the injuries along the the offensive line. And, and I thought, just given the way the Panthers had taken the ball away throughout the season, given the way they've been able to rush the passer this year, that they would pose some serious troubles for the 49ers. And that didn't happen at all. And I was I was very wrong. And from here on out, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to underestimate the 49ers ability to to make adjustments on offense and I'm certainly not going to underestimate the 49ers defense because good god this is this is a incredible defense right now and and there's really no other way to describe it other than like the the Niners are dominant and this is a this is a defense aside from the Patriots like the Niners and Patriots might have two of the best defenses we've seen in the last 5 or 6 years. Yeah, I I I'm right there with you. I thought that Carolina brought with them a lot of tools to take advantage of what the 49ers didn't do well, uh, throw the ball, um, have health along the offensive line. And I'm right there with you in that I underestimated the 49ers ability to very quickly make teams play left-handed. That's the big thing people always say about Bill Belichick and the Patriots. He makes you play left-handed. And the 49ers really did that against Carolina yesterday. There were two plays that Christian McCaffrey broke off uh, for big runs, but other than that, they kept him contained. And the 49ers tried to make Kyle Allen beat them. And as you alluded to, this defense is going to eat first-time starting quarterbacks alive, whether it's Eric Armstead or Nick Bosa or DeForest Buckner or uh, Richard Sherman took advantage of a bad throw. Emmanuel Mosley made a really nice break for an interception. There's there's not a lot negatively to say about this game on either side of the ball, and I was extremely extremely wrong in how I thought it was going to go, and I'm no longer I'm no longer reserving the 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 judgment on the 49ers. I was always like, yeah, they're up there in the NFC, but dude, until until somebody proves. M- to me, otherwise, the, the 49ers are the best team in the NFC. Yeah, I, I think they're they're in that conversation. I, I can't speak with, with any I don't know. I, I don't I don't like making concrete statements in the middle of a football season because things can change tr- pretty dramatically. I, I do sure. think if the Niners and Saints right now played 10 times, I do think the Niners would win at least four of those games. Right. So like that's another way of saying those teams match up very, very well. And maybe the Saints have a little bit more talent as far as skill position players and, and at quarterback and the 49ers have a better defense. Um, it would be a fascinating matchup. And and the good thing is, is that, you know, 
everybody wants to talk about where the 49ers are in the NFC. The record is what it is. They're the only undefeated team in the conference, but we're going to see them play the Packers and the Saints, and they're going to have two games against the Seahawks, including one coming up in two weeks. So we're going to have a really good idea. Like we don't have to postulate it, like where the 49ers stand among the NFC. We, we are, we are going to have a definitive answer because they are going to play a lot of these teams. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, because I, Personally, like I, I don't think there's any value in really trying to figure out exactly how good this team is. I know this defense is one of the best we've seen in years. Uh, you can go through some of the notes uh, from the 49ers PR staff post game. 49ers held the Panthers to 100 net passing yards. It's a fourth straight game. The team has held an opponent to 100 net passing yards or fewer. Uh, the last time any team in the NFL did that over four straight weeks was in 1977 when the 49ers and Falcons did it. Um, so we're talking about like a historically good defense. And Nick Bosa right now is not only in the driver's seat for defensive rookie of the year, but he is going to get consideration for defensive player of the year if he continues to keep this up. Because right now he's the best player on the best defense in the conference. And, you know, the Patriots have statistically a better defense than the 49ers right now. But I don't know that they necessarily have the star power. And they have some really good players in the secondary. But yeah. just in terms of star power and and big moments, I don't know if anybody has had bigger moments than Nick Bosa this season as from from a you know defensive player standpoint with what he did that Monday night game against Baker Mayfield. And then that interception he had Sunday, which is just a ridiculous play and just shows like just how good of a football player he is. Like, yeah. you know, people talk about, I remember we were having this conversation at the combine, like, well, you know, Nick Bosa wasn't like the most incredible combine athlete, um, but he's just a really good football player. And that play he made on the interception just goes to show. And it's, you know, it, this isn't like a nuanced thought or a unique one, but just like you have to play football. Like it's not all about, you know, 10 yard splits and 40 yard dashes and vertical jumps. And like, there was nothing that happened at the combine that made, that made you say Nick Bosa isn't going to be a good player, which was the whole point. And right. people who, who looked at the combine measurements and were like, well, I don't know about his athleticism. It's like, no, what he did on that interception of Josh Allen, first of all, shedding the block, then yeah. had it having the presence of mind and the balance to jump up, make that play and nearly house it for a touchdown. Um, he didn't score, obviously, but I mean, he's he's a he's a very good player. He's better than I thought he would be. Um, this he might be, if not this year, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he won Defensive Player of the Year at some point in his career, maybe multiple times. Like he's a Khalil Mack type talent, and I think the 49ers have to be feeling great about keeping that number two pick, drafting Nick Bosa, and and not trading it maybe for for a receiver like Odell Beckham Jr or anybody else for that matter, because right now having an edge rusher who's one of the best players, if not the best player at his position on a rookie contract is just insanely valuable for this team right now. Yeah, and, and he is a game record. John Lynch mentioned last offseason, or, or this offseason rather, that the 49ers needed a game record, and Nick Bosa has been that. And it's opened up so many things along the defensive line. I mentioned Eric Armstead earlier. He already has a career high in sacks. I think he's up to five and a half. He had two yesterday. Um, there's the 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 thing for me that that really stands out when people want to inevitably point to. Well, look at the quarterbacks they've seen. Look at the quarterbacks they've played against. A. 
teams face bad quarterbacks all the time and don't produce the way the 49ers are producing. B, nobody can point to anything the Niners are doing defensively and say a good quarterback will take advantage of that or a good quarterback will take advantage of that. It's just this assumption that they're going to play Drew Brees and Drew Brees is going to be able to uh, suddenly throw all over this Niners defense because there's just all these openings that other that other quarterbacks aren't exploiting. No, they're not exploiting things because they're just not there. Kyle Allen looked really good. Let me take that back. That's that's an overstatement. I don't want to overstate. <laughs> Kyle Allen looked fine, competent. He looked competent. He had seven touchdowns, no interceptions. Like he was a competent game manager who was doing what the Panthers needed him to do through four weeks. He was 5-0 and as a starter in his in his two NFL seasons, and he looked like he'd never played football yesterday. He made some truly awful throws, and that's not just he forgot how to play quarterback. It was Emmanuel Mosley reading a route and making a great break on a ball. It was Richard Sherman doing the same thing, knowing what route was coming, and then Allen making a not very good throw. Um, it was... The Nick Bosa play you mentioned, the third interception of the game where he just read it and made a made a terrific football play. There are just so many good football players all across his defense. And they'll have a clunker in there. I was watching Monday Night Football tonight and they they showed uh they showed the game that the the Dolphins hung up 38 points on the 85 Bears. Like those games are gonna happen. I'm sure it'll happen this year eventually. But outside of the odd kind of weird clunker game, this Niners defense is legit. And we saw the Patriots win a Super Bowl behind a great defense in February. If they keep playing like this, the sky's the limit for San Francisco. And Kevin Clark on on the Ringer NFL show, who does a fantastic job, made this point in, in that podcast today where it's like, they're not it's not like the 49ers are avoiding like a whole slew of great quarterbacks there just aren't that many good quarterbacks in the league or a lot of great teams in the league right now right like it's not the 49ers fault that the AFC North is having a down season and the 49ers certainly aren't the only ones enjoying the fact that there aren't a ton of great quarterbacks playing at a high level in the league right now so Look, the Niners went and beat the Rams, who are now 5-3. and three. They did that on the road, right? So this is still a team, the Rams, who played in last year's Super Bowl. So it's not like they've only they, they've only beaten bad teams. Like uh, uh, I think it's fair to say that the 49ers haven't had a tough schedule. But I, I'm to the point now where you've seen enough from them that you can comfortably say they're elite. They're one of the two or three best teams in the NFL – uh, they're certainly one of the best teams in the conference, if not the best. I still think the Saints are are going to be really, really dangerous, and I can't wait for that game in early December. But I mean, they're taking care of business. It's not like it's not like they're barely squeaking by. They're they're they are dominating these teams, yep. with the exception of that that week three game in the home opener against the Steelers when they turned the ball over five times. But all the other numbers, aside from the giveaways that they had, they they really dominated the Steelers and they were outgaining them basically two to one the entire time. So I think we've seen enough from the 49ers to say that despite the fact they haven't played elite level competition week in and week out, that they are ridiculously good. And the DVOA metrics still re- reflect that they're still one of the best teams that uh, football outsiders who, who 
figure out that DVOA stuff. Like they're the Niners are one of the best teams that they've ever tracked according to that metric. So look, advanced metrics are what they are, but I, I just think like you look at, you just look at what the 49ers are doing and where their weaknesses are. Like, what are their weaknesses? Would you say Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't really proven that he could win a game on his own yet? Well, he hasn't needed to, and that's not necessarily his fault. He was 18 for 22, uh, the highest completion rate of his career in any of his starts on Sunday, and he was very good. And he, the 49ers didn't need a whole lot from him because of what they were able to do running the ball. And, and I wrote about it for the Sacramento Bee this, it, coming out on Tuesday the 49ers scored four of their five rushing touchdowns in 11 personnel. And that was the big thing with me last week was that, you know, the last two games the 49ers have averaged fewer than three yards of carry um, against the Rams and, and in Washington. And obviously, you know, we talked about it, the the weather played a huge factor in that, but I, I just didn't know that the 49ers would be able to run the ball effectively without their starting tackles and with Kyle Juszczyk. And they were, and, the craziest thing about it was like Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan devised all these running plays that the Panthers had never seen before. And Luke Keekley's head was spinning like on all those that touchdown plays. Yeah. On all those touchdown plays, Luke Keekley either has his eyes towards the wrong side of the field because the 49ers are running misdirection or he's shooting the wrong gap. And, and Tevin Coleman is already running past into the secondary. Like, it was just a really phenomenal job by Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel, who's a run game coordinator, devising a plan that took advantage of whatever the Panthers were doing. And you look at it like, I don't know that Daniel Brunskill is an elite player, but they're putting him in positions to make really easy blocks. And all he has to do is seal a defensive end to the inside and Tevin Coleman's running straight through the secondary. Yep. And, you know, on Tevin Coleman's first touchdown, Gerald McCoy is just standing there looking at the mesh point and Coleman's already passed him by the time he he's unblocked and Coleman's already passed him by the time he realizes who has the ball. And that's a product of what the 49ers are doing schematically. So to me, like I haven't seen them do that to this point, like really confuse a defense yeah. and, and do things that, that clearly Carolina had not seen on film before. And I think that was the most surprising aspect of it because typically and I said this last week, when NFL teams know they have to stop the run, normally they can do that. And like any NFL team, no matter where you are, rankings-wise or whatever, like on Coleman's 48-yard run, there were 10 guys in the box because the 49ers had receivers bunched. And then Eric Reed blitzes from that side. Coleman runs right past him to that empty portion of the field that Reed left. And it's like the, the Niners just had so much for that Panthers defense in terms of the running game that it was – that was surprising. And I think it's, it's fascinating the way that they're zagging while everyone else is zigging in terms of how often they run the ball. The fact they're still able to run the ball with, with three wide receivers on the field and they're doing it in a way where opposing defenses just really don't even know what to do. The fact that, that the 49ers did that with the Panthers coming off their bye week with a whole extra week to prepare. And they looked like, they were playing in a preseason game where they didn't game plan at all was, was really remarkable. I want to go back to Jimmy Garoppolo though, because I think that's the key thing when people say, I don't think the 49ers can beat the Packers or the saints or the chiefs or Patriots in January. I think a lot of people, cause there's not a lot statistically that justifies that thought process. There's just not. Um, 
so I think what it comes down to is the quarterback, and I think because Jimmy Garoppolo is not putting up Patrick Mahomes-type numbers, he's not throwing for 350 yards and five touchdowns, I think people think there's something wrong with this offense, but there's not. When you go back to the Jim Harbaugh era 49ers, and I'm not comparing the two, but I think there is a small comparison in that they went and beat peak Aaron Rodgers in San Francisco and in Green Bay in the playoffs by running the football and playing great defense. And those are the two hallmarks of this 7-0 49ers team. And so I have a hard time justifying the the thought process that they're not going to be able to hang with uh, the other top teams in the NFC in a playoff game because they do all the things you need to do in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They play stout defense and they run the football and they have a quarterback who is extremely efficient, who if there are two minutes left and the team's down a score, I personally am confident in him to go down and, and get the team in the end zone. He's money on third down. He's been excellent uh, in that area. It's just really hard to find legitimate knocks. If Now, if you say, well, if the 49ers give up 40 points, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, I'm going to say that for a lot of <laughs> Like That's just, that, that that's where it seems to be to me. They have a defense that probably isn't going to give up 50 points or 40 points or whatever. And if they can keep it in that, 20 to 25 point range I have no doubt that Jimmy Garoppolo can can quarterback them to 27 points yeah and and I think it's about the combination right of of Garoppolo running Kyle Shanahan's offense and Jimmy Garoppolo has to do so many things in terms of pre-snap recognition getting people in motion uh it's a very complicated offense and so much is going on between the years that I think sometimes just being able to function at a high level and do all of those things within the framework of the scheme is a really difficult task in of itself, right? So like, you know, just because Jimmy Garoppolo isn't dropping back and making four reads every play and firing 20 yard outs and fitting every pass into a small window, like we love to look at quarterbacks and say, all right, this is, this is high level quarterback play, right? Like, Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo is going through reads. He's making tight window throws. And it's like, we're get, like a lot of people are going to hold it against him because Kyle Shanahan is so good at getting players open. And there are still plays where Garoppolo shows that he has some elite traits when, you know, it, his issue is interceptions, obviously. But like spinning off of a sack and regaining his footing and yeah. finding George Kittle 29 yards downfield and Kittle making that catch while taking a hit right to the face, like that's impressive. Right. And that's mm-hmm. that's not necessarily scheme dependent. The fact that Jimmy Garoppolo can avoid those sacks, he's still athletic enough coming off the injury is important. I think what's really important, though, is the way the 49ers have been playing on third down. And I've mentioned this before. If you're anywhere near 50 percent, you're doing really well on third down. Right. Yeah. So the 49ers, the last three games, eight of 17 against the Rams, 47 percent, seven of 16 in Washington in the rain, 43.8%, 5 of 10 yesterday, Sunday. I mean, you know, like that is exactly where you want to be, right? Like if if 50% is your benchmark, your quarterback is doing a good job. And so, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo needs to clean up the interceptions. He tried to force a bad pass to to George Kittle in the, the first play of their second series, and Luke Keekley made the one of the easier interceptions he's going to have. But take away those 
you know, those interceptions and you're talking about very high level quarterback play. And I think as we've seen with the 49ers the last couple of years, just like the team as the season goes on, keeps playing better. And we saw it at the very end of 2017 when Garoppolo first first joined the team. And then under Nick Mullins last year, when the 49ers, the, the 49ers play their best football in November and December, and it didn't really account amount to anything, obviously, in 2017 and 2018. But it really could this year. And and I I can't wait for the schedule to get more difficult for when they go to Baltimore and they go to New Orleans and they play the Packers. And, you know, the season finale is going to be in Seattle and, and maybe the division will be determined by then. But it could be an opportunity for, for Garoppolo to prove that, like, all right, I am more than just like a game manager plus, which is what I've called him. And, and I don't find that to be, you know, problematic right now. Obviously, Garoppolo is doing plenty to put the 49ers in positions to win. And that's all that really matters. And I only expect him to get better as the season goes on because that's, that's just, I mean, I just think that's how it's going to go. Like the, the Niners are playing at such a high level right now that really the only thing that might be lagging behind is Garoppolo. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he missed all of last season with an injury. Yeah. And the fact that what can't be overlooked is Justin School and Daniel Brunskill haven't been disasters at tackle, but I don't think they're as good as uh, peak Joe Staley and peak Mike McGlinchey. We saw Brian Burns beat Levine Toilolo off the edge yesterday that that forced a Garoppolo bad throw on that deep route to Emmanuel Sanders. But we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, geez, in fact, that's that, <laughs> let's, let's talk about Emmanuel Sanders, who on that deep route, uh, but basically to sum up that point, I think Garoppolo will get better once his offensive line is fully intact and if he stays accurate and efficient I don't think the 49ers need him to throw for 300 yards a game Emmanuel Sanders though man he's uh he's a high quality addition he was open a lot yesterday yeah uh so two third down conversions he played more snaps than any other receiver 55 82 percent uh he played one snap fewer than than George Kittle uh, so the 49ers clearly uh, have no problem putting him in there. And, and I thought it was interesting after the game and, and Sanders sort of said it during the week, but it's a little bit different after, you know, you play your first game with the new team. He's like, he's loving the energy, just like the 49ers, you know, they have their bump boxes and everybody's dancing and in the pregame tunnel, they're all getting hyped and smiling and having fun. And he talked about that. And you know, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the 49ers salary cap situation and everything like that. But the fact that Emmanuel Sanders at this stage in his career, he's going to turn 33 next year or he'll be 33 next year. It could be a scenario where the 49ers are able to fit him under their salary cap parameters. And that would be pretty significant for them because aside from him, it's not it's not a great receiving core, right? Like they don't have anybody that you can really trust on third down uh, or anybody who's really done it yet. You certainly can't trust Dante Pettis. Debo Samuel has had some nice moments, like we've said, but he hasn't been somebody over and over again who, who you're going to go to on third down in big situations. Emmanuel Sanders has all that experience, and he is so far really enjoying himself with this team because he is a perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. Um, he's tough. He's a good route runner. He's fast. And he's, he's proven that he has what it takes between the years to, to learn the offense. And I understand that there are a lot of similarities with, with what Rich Scangarello was running in Denver, but so far, I think just given, given Sanders disposition and what he's saying, talking about how he loves the vibe and the energy 
And when he was introduced last week following the trade, he said when it comes to signing with the team next year, because he's going to be a free agent, obviously, in, in the spring, it's going to be about winning and, and the energy he feels in the building. And so he's followed that up by talking about how much he loves the vibes and his teammates and, and everything like that since coming to the 49ers. And I wouldn't expect him to say anything else, of course. But right. I do think it's notable, you know, sort of tracking the future, like Emmanuel Sanders could be had for for a reasonable price, I believe. Um, and it could it, it could make for, you know, a, a long term partnership if if things keep going on this trajectory. And it would make sense, too, if he only has a couple of years left in the 49ers, if he thinks the 49ers championship window is open, uh, that that partnership would certainly make sense. And I'm sure we'll talk about that ad nauseum. Uh, leading up to the offseason and through the offseason, but he got open on that little four-yard out for his first catch on the 49ers' second play of the game, and then he got open down the field on that on that Garoppolo overthrow I mentioned where he was under duress. But just that play and Sanders' ability to break loose from a cornerback in the third level of the passing game is a really big deal because I'm not sure the 49ers really have anybody who creates separation the way Emmanuel Sanders does. And yeah. if he can continue doing that, um, he, he, he also got open on a third and 11. He found the middle of a zone and just kind of sat down in the middle of the field and Garoppolo delivered a strike for 13 yards. Like it's plays like that where finding a receiver who can get open on third and 11 is the difference between extending your drive or punting. Like that's a that's a really big deal, and I know that's one completion for 13 yards, and and maybe he gets open deep, and it's one completion for 25 yards. But I mean, those are huge, significant chunk plays that the 49ers haven't been able to create outside of throwing it to George Kittle, and on screen plays, uh, really in Kyle Shanahan's tenure. So I think Emmanuel Sanders, while he's not Julio Jones, he's not prime AJ Green. I think he can be a significant difference maker on offense. And I think we saw it yesterday with Kittle a little bit. I don't know, Chris, what, what you thought about this, but I felt like Kittle got more throws down the field yesterday than he has all season. Yeah, and it could be, I think Sanders certainly factored into that. Um, you know, Kittle led the team in, in receiving again. I think he's I think he's led the team in receiving in all seven games or at least in, in six of five or six, at least um, one stat I thought was interesting. Nick Wagner of ESPN, good friend of the pod, obviously was on a couple weeks ago. Uh, he found a, a, a statistic. George Kittle is uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is 15 of 15 when, when throwing to George Kittle on a third down and 11 of those have gone for first downs. Wow. So sort of, sort of speaks to, you know, how good Kittle is as a target in important situations. And I would imagine if Trent Taylor comes back, he's going to be an important player on third down. And, and as Emmanuel Sanders gets more comfortable, he's also going to continue to be a, a good player on third down. But before we go into winners and losers and give our uh, Demontre Moore, how they survived without Demontre Moore award for this week, uh, let's take a quick break. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, easy glide, and it comes in at a low price. 
do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash blue wire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. Harry's is just super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule without, with or without a subscription. And there's no risk for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners to our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Just go to harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today. Kyle, as you know, the holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation.com. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders, or decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts, that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use our offer code BLUE to get a free 60-day trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. All right, so let's go into our winners and losers from this game. Um, pretty tough to come up with losers. I, I think we we had to go to the other side of the field in the Carolina Panthers to, to come up with, I think, all of them, actually. Oh, no. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, one. Okay. Uh, winners. <laughs> that was good, right? Uh, Daniel Brunskill and Justin School. So, you know, Justin School gave up the, the sack to Bruce Irvin. And he was flagged for for holding on on another sack earlier in the game, but the fact that the 49ers went three and zero with Justin School and Daniel Brunskill as their starting tackles is pretty remarkable, and it's a credit to them uh, just for developing as quickly as they have as first year players. Brunskill was obviously a played in the AAF in the offseason, was on the Falcons practice squad, former tight end in, in college. School was a rookie six-round pick who a lot of us didn't think would even make the team, who wasn't particularly impressive during training camp. But the 49ers beat the Rams, who are contending for a playoff spot. They beat the Panthers, who entered entered the weekend 4-2. and two. And now the 49ers are looking like they're going to get Joe Staley back for this Thursday night game against the Arizona Cardinals. So big winners. Justin School and Daniel Brunskill, they did not cost the 49ers any games in uh, after taking over for Staley and McGlinchey. McGlinchey still might miss another game or two, um, but 
I mean, just the fact the 49ers won all three of those games without their starting tackles, I think is is a pretty significant achievement for for both them and, and Kyle Shanahan and the offensive staff for, for scheming things up in a way that didn't hurt the offense with those two guys playing tackle. Yeah, when Staley went down, it felt like it was going to be a disaster. And then school played pretty well, but then McGlinchey went down and it felt like 2018 all over again where there were just going to be too many injuries for them to overcome, especially since Juszczyk went down the same week McGlinchey did. But like you said, Brunskill and school have been um, serviceable at worst and good at other times. And I, I can't find a lot of complaints about either of them. So a heck of a job by them. And like you said, the Niners coaching staff. Uh, loser, Kyle Allen. Panthers quarterback, the first three interceptions of his career. There was a lot of talk about his efficiency, about his ability to not cost Carolina any games coming in. I had much higher expectations before the game, obviously. One of the things I was so wrong about, and the 49ers defense made him look like a backup quarterback. And so he throws the first three interceptions of his career, complete, barely completed 50% of his passes, um, just not a particularly good day for Kyle Allen or my takes Kyle Allen, 19 of 37, 158 yards, a, uh, a pretty miserable 4.3 yards per attempt sacked seven times. Not all of them were his fault, but he did hold onto the ball too long for a few of those sacks, three interceptions, 28.9 passer rating. Not great. Kyle Allen loser. That's bad. no there there wasn't there wasn't anything he did and I was talking to Tim Weaver who runs the Panthers wire and I asked him you know what's Kyle Allen really done well and he said not a lot he's like here's nothing he's like it's been a lot of McCaffrey and a lot of taking advantage of short fields on turnovers and that's exactly what we saw Sunday only with interceptions thrown in because the 49ers have an elite defense and I think of the four teams Kyle Allen played this year, I think three of them were in the bottom 25 in passing defense DVOA for football outsiders. So he just hadn't seen a defense like San Francisco's before. And that showed because they uh, were really dominant on that side of the ball. And it was very evident that a healthy Cam Newton offers a lot more for Carolina than, than Kyle Allen does. All right. So our next winner Emmanuel Mosley. Um, so I kind of go back to the offseason with this, and we obviously spent a lot of time talking about the 49ers secondary and the fact that it was so bad last year, and we wondered why the 49ers didn't make any significant investments in the secondary, and we thought if they were going to have problems on defense, it would be either with their depth players at cornerback or their safeties. Um, Emmanuel Mosley's a player. And he might be somebody who prevents you from using an early round draft pick on a cornerback at some point over these next few years because he's playing really well. And now all of a sudden with Richard Sherman entering, obviously the the latter portion of his career, I think he's only signed through next season. So it could be something where, um, you know, where we're looking at maybe the last couple years of Richard Sherman here, unless he does sign an extension, but at some point you have to think about the future of the position And just given the fact that Emmanuel Mosley has played at a high level, not not even just like a replacement level, but at a high level um, is a huge boon for the 49ers because it's such a difficult position to find. And the 49ers now, too, have an infrastructure where 
they can bring in undrafted rookies and the the scheme has been in place long enough and the foundation has been in place long enough that they can plug players in and not really have to worry about it. So it looks like Akella Witherspoon is going to come back for that week 11 game against the Seahawks, or sorry, that November 11th game against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. In the meantime, Emmanuel Mosley is a winner because he had his first career interception. He's been nailed since since getting put in the starting lineup. Just about every metric says he's been playing well in addition to the eye test. And, uh, and that's what happens when you're a good team. Like good teams are able to find players in, in places where you wouldn't expect them to be good and make everyone else look stupid by, you know, worrying that the 49ers didn't have any depth at corner. Well, it turns out they might. And, you know, when Witherspoon comes back, the 49ers are going to have a starter level player on the bench that they could bring in. And that could turn out to be hugely important for them, not only this season, but just building for the future overall. Yeah, I, I, I think what the 49ers have been able to do and really their team building philosophy of improve the pass rush and it'll elevate the play of the secondary has worked perfectly through the first seven games. And Mosley, from what I remember, was a guy they actually liked last year. And then he got hurt three, I think it was three plays into his, into his career in his first start or in his first game with the, with, uh, against the Raiders. But like you said, he's been, he's been really good. And suddenly the weakest position on the roster looks not so bad. They're going to get yeah. tested against Arizona though. <laughs> they run a lot of three and four wide receiver sets. So uh, the depth will, will get tested with Witherspoon out on Thursday. Uh, but Emmanuel Mosley, I couldn't agree more. Big winner because for all of his good play, he finally has an interception to show for it. Shout out to Emmanuel Mosley. E-Man. Uh, all right, E-Man. loser. You all. <laughs> loser, Jimmy Garoppolo's interception total. Seven interceptions in four games. I believe uh, he is tied for the fourth most interceptions. I should. I probably should have known that, but. Yeah, I think seven is is the uh, tied for the fourth most in the league. Again, hasn't been catastrophic, um, but you clearly want Jimmy Garoppolo to avoid these mistakes that he's been making. And it's really, you know, it hasn't been more than two a game, fortunately for for the 49ers just yet. But you're going to get to a point where there are going to be some high leverage situations where you have to rely on Garoppolo to win you a game and you need to feel confident that he's not going to make a mistake to, to lose the 49ers a game. Because as we've said, I think right now, Jimmy Garoppolo's knack for turning the ball over might be, um, might be the 49ers Achilles heel. So he has seven interceptions. Yeah. It's tied for the third most. So there are one, two, three, four, five, there's six quarterbacks with seven picks three with eight and then two with 12. Um, So yeah, you just, you just need more from, from Garoppolo just in terms of ball security. And, and he's throwing interceptions at 3.7% of his pass attempts. That's fourth worst in the league behind Sam Darnold, Jameis Winston and Baker Mayfield. So what you need, you need him to, to limit those picks, obviously. What's so frustrating about, what's so frustrating about his interceptions is, there are the ones like that screen pass to Brita against the Steelers. It just kind of got tipped up into the air and then intercepted. There was another one there where he threw it a touch high and the ball bounced off Dante Pettis's hands and went into the air off a deflection for an interception. But like, like you said, the, the throw to, to Kittle that Keekley intercepted, 
he had, I think it was Dante Pettis or Kendrick Bourne, I can't remember who it was, was wide open on the out. And he pump faked that pattern to come back inside and throw to Kittle, who was covered by Keekley. And it's just kind of the head-scratching plays where he's so good every other part of the game, but there's one to three plays a game where you you make a face trying to figure out exactly what he was doing. And that's fine right now. And he's been efficient enough and good enough on third down that those plays don't come back to bite him. The 49ers defense has also bailed him out a few times. But that's fine in October. It's fine even in November. But you start getting into December when you're battling for a playoff spot or jockeying for playoff position or you get into January where it's win or go home, that bad interception could be the difference between a win and a loss. And if they are going to make the postseason or advance beyond the first round of the postseason, they're going to need Garoppolo to be damn near perfect. And he was really close on Sunday, but that interception by Keekley was just such an abhorrent read, timing, throw, everything, that it really makes you worried about about his ability to not make turnovers down the stretch. Totally agree. Let's go to our uh, our next winner, Mitch Wisnowski, laying the wood on that kickoff return on Reggie Bonifon. Uh, he was flagged for it. I didn't necessarily agree with the call. I understand the call. Um, like you know, like we. People always talk about it's impossible to lead with your shoulder and not dip your head. And there's going to be times when your helmet make, makes contact with with somebody you're trying to hit. But just the fact that Mish Wisnowski is out there putting his body on the line, willing to hit people. And, you know, Reggie Bonifon is a running back um, who just got laid out on the sideline by a punter on a kickoff. Like, just let Mitch live. I think that was a good yeah. hit. And uh, And, you know. Big Mitch Wisnowski guy because uh, he's a nice dude, and we both have Santa Barbara City College in common. So um, oh, I'm yeah, a little biased, maybe, but uh, but I think it was a stupid flag, and I think he I think he deserves credit for that hit. What's the Santa Barbara City College mascot? I said Gauchos. That's not right. No, that's UCSB. Very similar. They're the uh, Vaqueros. Oh, ba- ba- go Vox. Va- <laughs> <laughs> um. It's like, uh, so Santa Rosa Junior College, uh, I don't know if it still is, but it was considered a feeder program to Cal Berkeley. Mm. So Cal is the Golden Bears, right? So Santa Barbara City, or the Santa Rosa Junior College was the was the Bear Cubs. Oh. Um, so there was a, connect, there's a, you know, City College is a feeder program for UCSB. So the Vaqueros and Gauchos are sort of the same thing. Oh, um, both, got it. Okay. Both, you know, sort of Spanish cowboys type. Uh, right. And then and in the hierarchy of Spanish cowboys, Vaquero is below Gaucho. Like you have to graduate from Vaquero to from from Vaquero to Gaucho. Uh, I can I I am not not well versed enough in my knowledge <laughs> on that subject to, to have an accurate take there. But yeah, go Vox. Does not bode well for Santa Barbara City College that you don't know the answer to that. <laughs> the hierarchy of of, yeah. of the Cowboys. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'll have the answer for our next episode. How about that? Excellent. Can't wait. Uh, all right, let's go to the loser. Our final loser, Brian Burns. And uh, one of the reasons why I was so wrong about what was going to happen Sunday is because 
I looked at Brian Burns rookie season and thought he was really good. Um, and I liked him at Florida state before the draft. So maybe there was some, some bias there as well, but really a non-factor in the game because he had a wrist injury and ended up playing with a club on his hand and was basically a virtual non-factor except for that pressure you mentioned that he had on Jimmy Garoppolo on the first drive on the pass, the deep out to Emmanuel Sanders. Um, you know, Brian Burns is somebody that had the 49ers traded down. Maybe maybe they would have targeted. We'll never really know. They obviously ended up with Nick Bosa, and it turned out to be a good pick, at least right now. Um, but, yeah, I just figured Brian Burns going up against Justin School and, and Daniel Brunskill would have his way and, and be far more impactful of a player because him and Mario Addison have, have combined. I think they, they entered the weekend combined for 10 sacks or something like that, right? So... Yeah, loser because he did not contribute very much to Carolina and it led to or it helped lead to a, a big offensive game. Another big offensive game for the 49ers who hung a 50 burger. On, and uh, on he was Panthers. a guy and he was a guy in the running for defensive rookie of the year. And while he was being a non-factor, Nick Bosa was having an all time great defensive performance. First nine yep. ever with three sacks and interception in a game. All right. Let's go to the uh, how did they survive without Demontre Moore award? I think it's pretty easy, right? Yeah, it's it's the defensive line, seven sacks, two for Eric Armstead, three for Nick Bosa. DJ Jones had one. Um, DJ Jones, DJ Jones is a really good athlete. Like yeah, chase, chasing an, down a guy that weighs like seventy pounds less than him. That was an incredible um, play. Yeah, really nice play for him. Uh, Ronald Blair had a. Had a sack. It was his third of the season. I think the Niners have five guys with at least three sacks, which is which is good. Um, so yeah, they survived without Demontre Moore this week uh, because of the way the defensive line played. Funny how that works out. Speaking of Demontre Moore, worked out for the Browns today per Ian Rappaport of NFL. Wow! Now. So the Brown season is really going to turn around here. Yeah, huge, absolutely, absolutely enormous. All right. Well, we did not talk about the Thursday night game coming up against the Arizona Cardinals, mostly because there was so much to talk about with this game on Sunday. Um, Because it's a Thursday night game, we're not really going to get into the weeds in terms of previewing that game. I can say that I'm interested to see what Kyler Murray looks like, particularly going up against this defense, because not very tall 49ers. Yeah, the 49ers aren't going to make many changes over these next few years uh, defensively. I mean, Robert Sala might get a head coaching job somewhere at some point, but I would imagine the the scheme and the foundation is going to remain largely intact. So I'm curious to see how Kyler Murray reacts. I'm curious to see how the 49ers handle going up against 10 personnel and four receivers. Are they going to play nickel and rely on the speed of their linebackers to to cover up some of that space? Are they going to you know, throw another cornerback on the field. Is it going to be, you know, is Dante Johnson going to, going to be an important player on Thursday? I don't think Akella Witherspoon's going to play. And I'm expecting the 49ers to handle business and win a game against an inferior opponent because that's all they've done all season. And as I've learned over the weekend, I am not going to be the person that expects the 49ers to lose a game against an inferior opponent uh, because they just haven't yet. So until they do that, I'm going to stop thinking that it could happen because this team is so good right now, particularly defensively and with what they can do offensively with Kyle Shanahan pulling the strings. 
that uh, that you just can't bet against them really at any point until they play a team that's either equal to them or maybe even better than them. And that's not happening this week, Thursday in Arizona. The Cardinals offense is a uh, quick preview here. Okay. Cardinals offense is just like a boatload of potential. Basically they only average 5.3 yards per play that ties them with the, uh, the New York football giants uh, and the Colts. Uh, they are however, ahead of the Patriots and the Panthers, but uh, no, they pass the ball about 57% of the time. They run 10 personnel with four wide receivers, 42% of the time. League average is 3%. Uh, and then I think they run 11 personnel with three wide receivers, I think 35% of the time. So the 49ers secondary is going to get stretched this week, and it's going to be a good test against an offense that that is going to pass a lot, whether they're ahead or behind. And Kyler Murray is a unique athlete. And so it's going to be on Nick Bosa and D Ford to not only get after the quarterback, but to make sure he's not getting outside because when he gets outside the pocket, he is extremely, extremely dangerous. Yeah. The 49ers so far, I've done a really good job staying in their rushing lanes as, as a pass rush. And I think six of their seven sacks Sunday against the Panthers came when they just rushed four guys. So they had they had seven guys in coverage, and that's obviously going to be important when you're going against a team that wants to spread you out like the like the Cardinals are going to want to under Cliff Kingsbury. So the 49ers haven't beaten the Cardinals, I don't think, since uh, since Jim Harbaugh's final game in 2014. Correct. So I think that's going to be sort of the rallying cry this week. Um, so I would imagine that that they're going to come out and and maybe, you know, Thursday games can be weird and maybe it's not the blowout that we expected and maybe the offense is, isn't quite as as fluid and dynamic as it was on Sunday. But, um, you know, Joe Staley's going to be back or it, it looks like he's going to be back. So that's going to be important. Um, and maybe Emmanuel Sanders has a better game. I don't think David Johnson's going to play. It doesn't look like they, they made a trade for Kenyon Drake, the former Dolphins running back, sending a, a fifth round pick to Miami. We'll have to see if that's going to impact things. But overall, I think if you're a 49er fan, you can feel pretty comfortable about going to Arizona on Thursday and, and winning that game because I don't really know where Arizona has an advantage aside from being the home team on a short week. They might get Dante Johnson on the field a lot and try and take advantage of a guy who hasn't played much this year. But outside of that, I, I, I'm right there with you. I, I'm not sure what the Cardinals are going to be able to do outside of the 49ers making a ton of mistakes. I don't know what the Cardinals are going to be able to do to uh, to stop the 49ers really on either side of the ball. Yeah, so I think that's all we got tonight. Uh, we will have another podcast at some point. We haven't we haven't nailed down the scheduling yet because this is a unique week with them playing on a Thursday. So when we know, we will let you guys know. And uh, in I I do I do want to reiterate the fact that I'm okay with being wrong. Um, I'm probably going to be wrong again, just as a warning. Um, but it is, it is not from a place of, of not being prepared or, or just laziness. I do try to try to make sure my takes are, are, uh, educated. So, um, yeah, there are going to be mistakes made on this podcast like there were last week. And we're, uh, we're good with that because we're all human. Right, Kyle? Hell yeah. <laughs> Don't tweet now. All right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We will, uh, if that's not, if that's not a way to sell a podcast, I don't know what is, but we will talk to you guys later after the 49ers play the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday night, Halloween in, uh, in scenic Glendale, Arizona. Talk to you guys. Later. Subscribe, rate, review, Candlestick Chronicles. Yeah, do that. Booyah.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.